welcome to Sellersburg United Methodist Church podcast, where we bring our mission to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world to you, wherever you are. Back with the prophets, and this will be our, our final week of the prophets, actually, and the collective sigh, right? One more week of the prophets. The prophets are not something someone, anyone really wants if we're honest. It's like going to the dentist to get a tooth pulled, right? You know you want the outcome. You don't want what comes in between. There's a lot of anxiety, a lot of dread, and a lot of pain. Or if not pain, at least a lot of pressure, you know? You can feel it even if they numb you. Have you ever been through the hammer and chisel of the, of the dentist? No, no qualms with dentists. We're grateful for their work but we sometimes don't always look forward to it. Psychics are the same way. Psychics. I said that as a Freudian slip because prophecy is often misunderstood in that light, as if they can see things in the future, as if they're a fortune teller, and that idea of prophecy, maybe we kind of are attracted to. We'd like to know, or we'd like to be the one, but prophecy in Scripture is not about that. It's not about seeing the future. It's about seeing the past and the present clearly. And from that perspective, you can get an idea of the trajectory. And in that case, you know what's coming. That's prophecy in the Bible. If we understand prophecy for what it is, we dread it because prophets don't hold anything back. For instance, as a prophet, if I'm riding in a car with someone driving 150 miles an hour, It would be prophetic to understand the danger of the situation. I've been in cars with people who did not understand the danger of the situation. Can I get an amen if you ride with one of those drivers every now and again? Maybe you rode with one on the way to church this morning. In that moment, I have a choice to make in that prophetic perspective. I could not spoil the good time of the driver, or I can not pick the fight I'm sure is not going to go well anyway, or I can communicate to that driver clearly that this behavior will cost a lot of money or get someone killed. It's just a matter of time. That'd be the prophetic voice. I'll call the first one pastoral. I don't want to spoil their good time, and you know, I'm probably not going to listen anyway. Maybe I just need to build a relationship with them, and maybe eventually we'll have that discussion. They'll come to that realization on their own, right? Or I can say, I'll drive this time. And then I can model the perfect behavior, right? It's a pastor. I might say something as a pastor to them and say, I see you're having a great time as we travel 150 miles per hour. It must be such a great time for you to to be in control and have this moment, right? But do you ever wonder what might happen if things aren't going the way you anticipate in front of you? And if the driver answers, well, yeah, I do wonder. I wonder if it might be dangerous. I could say as a good pastor, what a great idea. What a a good insight you have. You should trust your God-given instinct. How can I help you feel more safe behind the wheel? I would love to walk with you. If the driver answers, no, I don't really wonder, then I suppose I'll have to think a different way to be a pastor. Being a pastor can only have an effect if they'll allow you to. Amen? If they've made up their mind, they're not interested in what you have to say about driving 150 miles an hour, then what can I really do 
What can any of us do, those of you who have been in that seat? Maybe over time with that relationship, the conversation will come up naturally, and hopefully you'll live long enough to have it. Amen? And honestly, it will probably take a loved one or a friend getting into some sort of accident to highlight the dangers of that kind of behavior. And then as a pastor, I can walk through them with that pain and help them as they grow through suffering, because that's often how it happens. Now, the prophetic perspective would speak boldly and directly and say, woe unto you, driver. You've been blessed with this great responsibility and this great car, but you were only driving into your death. Turn from your reckless ways, you betrayer of the state. May judgment pour down upon your head until you go to the depths of Sheol. That'd be, that kind of sounds prophetic, right? Using this approach may be prudent and helping slow the driver down, maybe. What it will definitely do is damage the relationship. Who wants to hear that? Prophets were almost always beaten or killed, and we wonder why. Jesus, beaten and killed. People don't want to hear bold and direct. I don't. Anybody else want to hear bold and direct? If you do, see me afterward. We'll have a conversation, right? I'm kidding. When to be pastoral, when to be prophetic is difficult to discern, especially when you have a relationship with people. Isaiah is one of, if not the most well-known of all the prophets. Our Bible doesn't tell us his fate among the people, although some of the Jewish writings that came later said he was sawed in half by King Manasseh. That sounds about right. Being a prophet is a torturous vocation. Who wants to hear what you have to say? No one invites you to the dinner table for holidays, right? But being a prophet is lived out of love for God and for God's people. Why else would they do it? We're finishing our prophet series today with this passage from chapter 5 of Isaiah. There are 66 chapters in Isaiah. We're just getting started, and he comes at him with this love song. He calls it a love song. You'll see the humor in it. Last week, we heard Isaiah start off the whole book with criticizing the worship of the Israelites in Jerusalem. And today, Isaiah is going to take it to a deeper level. Only in chapter 5 of 66 may I make that clear. This may be a familiar vineyard passage. You've heard this, Isaiah 5, before, because the metaphor of the people as a vineyard is used again and again in Scripture. And Jesus even tells a parable about a vineyard owner, no doubt, looking back to this parable from Isaiah. Eventually, Jesus calls himself the vine, to which we all must have life by being a part of Israel, particularly the northern part. Anyone been to the northern part of Israel? we got to set up a trip. You go to the northern part, and it's lush and green, and everything grows, dates and olives and grapes and wheat and barley and flax, and it thrives in the land. It's beautiful. This was one reason the land was sought by all the neighboring countries. It's one reason why Rome took it over and then gave the land to corrupted people so that Rome could enjoy all these fruits. The people that owned the land, that had the land, that God gave the land to in the very beginning, had great success, grew everything well. They were rewarded for their toil in the soil. But the success is actually where the problem begins, way back when. The whole point of this great gift was to provide to the people so that no one would go hungry among them. Everyone was given a plot of land. 
Everyone was given what they needed, and they would be abundant, overflowing. They were to share with each other to the unfortunate. They were to leave parts of the field for the poor to pick, to gather. It was all to keep everyone pretty much on the same level, to make sure desperation didn't sink into the people, because poor and hungry people become desperate, and desperate people become dangerous because they do things they wouldn't normally do. You could look at a, a school as a young person in school, and there's always the, the person or persons that get picked on, and they get picked on, and they get picked on until you just see a hardness from them, a sadness. Those are the people that end up in fights. That was how it was in my school. No wonder. The lustness of, of the land was to help to bring people together. That was the point. There was always the image. With great harvests and goods, the people would come together for a weekly Sabbath meal on a routine, the family, and then for all the great festivals, all the people, and they would celebrate, and they would lift glasses, and they would hold up the bounty and eat and laugh and sing and experience community around a table. The men, the women, the children, the young and the old, the native and the foreigner were all invited to the feast that God provides. A grateful and connected people would give proper honor and praise and worship to God for the bounty of the table and for the bounty of the relationships. Their praises and joy would be a beacon to all the other peoples around to say, they're a different kind of people with a different kind of God, with a different kind of life of trust and goodness and overflowing, and they share. That was the vision cast all the way back in Genesis 12. But the reality of Isaiah was different. God had given the people everything they needed to thrive, especially, especially in their form of connection with each other. They shared tribal heritage. But success can lead us to something beyond commun communion, community, and connection. It can go the other direction, the wrong kind of success. Amen? How many families do we know that have been torn apart from money? Success. If someone came into the city of Jerusalem in a time like this and began singing a love song, people might turn and listen. They didn't have radios then. No Sirius, no CDs. Couldn't just pull up whatever you wanted. Being blessed by a song was a treat. So Isaiah walks in and lures them with a love song. Oh man, a love song. Little do they know He's about to lead them into condemning themselves. Let's hear from Isaiah 5. Let me sing for my loved one a love song for his vineyard. My loved one had a vineyard on fertile hillside. He dug it, cleared away its stones, planted it with excellent vines, built a tower inside it, and dug out a wine vat in it. He expected it to grow good grapes, but it grew rotten grapes. So now, you who live in Jerusalem, you people of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I haven't done for it? When I expected it to grow good grapes, why did it grow rotten grapes? Now, let me tell you what I'm doing to my vineyard. I'm removing its hedge so it will be destroyed. I'm breaking down its walls so it will be trampled. It'll turn into a ruin. It won't be pruned or hoed. 
and thorns and thistles will grow up. I will command the clouds not to rain on it. The vineyard of the Lord of heavenly forces is the house of Israel, and the people of Judah are the plantings in which God delighted. God expected justice, but there was bloodshed. Righteousness, but there was a cry of distress. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, Isaiah and his love song. I don't think anyone bought that album. That final stanza is so clever. The Hebrew word for justice and bloodshed are almost identical. Mishpat and mispah. You might miss the difference. Same goes for righteousness and a cry. Tzedakah and tzayatak. Tzayakada. Something like that. I'm butchering it. These words weren't chosen by accident. They look almost the part, but not quite. Isaiah goes on beyond his verses to list the crimes committed, and what he lifts up is basically success of the land drove people to want to acquire more land. And so through business savvy, they did. They acquired their neighbor's land, and then that next, that next neighbor's land until their little plot of land became a big plot of land upon which they lived, and everyone else was pushed and pushed and pushed from the land. A few then lifted up the bounty of the earth together, while many were unable to participate. Many were excluded from this joy and success, as they defined it. There was success in their eyes, but not by God's definition. It, it sounded the same, success and success, but perverted. It resembled the dream, but wasn't quite. So just like those words sounded almost like the right words in the passage, they were, in fact, far from the intended meaning and reality. Justice was perverted to bloodshed. Righteousness became a cry from a desperate people. Oh, the prophetic voice. Oh, the prophetic voice to the one driving in the car. Isaiah lured people into this love song. They may have turned the volume up, right? You want to hear that song. What more could I have done, is asked. And the people listening would have said nothing. You did everything right. And in that moment, only later do they realize they condemned themselves because they are the wild, rotten grapes. What more could God have done? Nothing. Said it from your own mouth. The dream was a large community gathering, honoring one another's human dignity, celebrating God's great love and grace lavished upon them in the forms of many ways. The dream was that everyone would have all they needed and more, for with God our cup overflows. God's bounty would be recognized by all the people around, watching God in relationship with this people, and they would say, that is, that is a success like we've never seen. We want to know more about your life. After all, who doesn't admire a land where everyone is taken care of? where everyone has what they need, where no one hoards, no one acquires more and more at the expense of others, no one is annexed further and further away from their home, where all people have satisfaction and no one is desperate. Sounds pretty good, amen? Have you ever seen this? That was the dream, but it was not the reality. So Isaiah lifted up the truth and invited anyone that had ears to hear it to hear. If people want to 
be greedy and successful by their own standards, then God's going to tear down all the protection and say, you want to be wild, then go and live as you feel called to live. You want to drive 150 miles an hour? God's not going to stop you. And we know what will happen. Destruction, devastation, division, desperation, worse. Oh, the prophets. What is the love song of our day, I wonder? What's the song that tunes our ears, but in turn it actually speaks some truth to us? Where has God given the church the blessings needed to thrive in our work? What has God provided for us to show us a rich and meaningful life of divine success? And I wonder, have we traded doing right for being right? And while those sound so similar, they're about as far apart as you can get. What cost are we willing to pay for our own success? That's a question only we can sit with. God will honor our choice whether it's in your relationships, whether it's in your community, whether it's in your pew, God will honor your choice. And sometimes that becomes bad news. But there is good news on the other side of the bad news. Amen? While the product of our current reality may produce bitterness and a kind of sustenance, but that's pretty useless, our community is not going to be built on division. The divine dream is still alive. It always has been. It always will be. And it will come to pass. Amen? Like the driver, if Israel's lucky in their day, they're going to survive to learn the truth about the error of their way through a great tragedy, which ends up being an exile. They will pursue their wild living until it drives them into chaos, until they finally wake up realize how far from life they really are, and turn and walk back. And God will be waiting. They'll learn from their lesson of their past. That's how it works, isn't it? We learn our greatest lessons from our greatest pain. There is blessing in the bitter, rotten, and wild reality because of the road it will lead us down, and then with God's grace, we'll traverse back up from that dark depth. One day, all the people will gather around the table and lift up the bounty of God's grace and blessing in the form of body and blood. They will share laughter and joy together. Everyone will have what they need. There will be justice where there once was bloodshed. There will be righteousness where there was a cry. The question before Isaiah's audience, the question before us now today is, when? When will the gathering be? Where? With whom? Do we need the great lesson of pain? Or will we trust in God here and now? God will not force us to do anything. God will allow us to cross the line of relationship where we stand with God and we want to walk away. God will allow us to do that. And while God can't walk with us across that line, God will be leaning, waiting, arms outstretched, desperate for the day we come back. And when God sees us come over that horizon, will run to us. May we open our eyes and soften our hearts to God and to one another. May we celebrate the blessing God has given us over everything else we might look upon in our lives. And may our joy become a living testament to our community 
about the faith we found, about the God we know, about the community we are a part of, that we may all gather and thrive together. Amen? Amen. We thank you for joining us today, and it is our hope that you have experienced the blessing of God through our time together. If you'd like to know more about our church community and its ministries, visit our website at sellersburgumc.com.